Good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Um, I want to take you back to high school in Mike Park. Mike Park was one of my arch enemies, uh, uh, 8th, ninth, 10th grade. And so uh, we, would, we had all kinds of conflict, uh, gr- lots of gossip, lots of slander, lots of, if you're his friend, you can't be my friend, um, and plenty of, hey, I'll see you in the parking lot after school. Um, and so you, you probably experienced a good amount. Oh, why? Why was all this conflict? Well, Shelly Warren. He liked Shelly Warren. I liked Shelly Warren. I didn't like that he liked Shelly Warren, and uh, vice versa. And so you, you probably experienced lots of uh, conflict throughout your life. You've had even times where people have attacked you, unjustly attacked you. So what's the path you take? What's your strategy? How do you interact with that? Um, I love the force one, uh, especially in movies. Uh, that's what a lot of movies are about. How do we, how do we handle this conflict? Um, you know, movies have like a Jack Reacher uh, my movie is, it's just Chris Hyde. That's the name of the movie. And uh, so you're sitting in a diner and uh, hanging out, eating, and these five guys come in. They're looking for trouble. And so they mouth off to you and you say to them, I say to them, you don't want to do this. Trust me, you, you don't want to do this. And they keep pushing and they keep pushing. You've been warned. You end up outside, right? There's five guys around you. You look at the leader of the group and, and, and say, now listen, this is how it's going to work. You're the leader of the group. I'm going to take you out first. Then he's going to come. I'm going to take him out. He's going to come. I'm going to take him out. And the other two, they're just going to run. And sure enough, the guy comes at you. You do the... <laughs> and just like that, it works out exactly the way you said it would work out. Man, I love that force thing. Now, in real life, it's way more shaky, right? In real life, force doesn't always work out so fantastic. What is yours? Maybe yours is the blacklist, right? So you have conflict with somebody, they go on your blacklist. They're, they're done. You're done talking to them. You might say hi and bye to them, but, but they're out. Or uh, you like to take the high road one, right? You even might be confused this a little bit with what Jesus would want you to do. You're like, I'm the better person. I'm going to be the better person. I'm going to take the high road. Then there's the uh, stuffer who just takes it and they stuff it and they stuff it and they stuff it. And eventually, of course, right, that blows up and all kinds of bad things happen. Or maybe you're, maybe you're actually the wimp. What do you mean? You actually grew up in a way that you think you deserve it. You think you just have to take it. It's your plot in life. And so people are mean to you. There's injustice to you, and you just, you just take it. Well, today we're going to talk about walking the unshakable path. Jesus has a different way of interacting with conflict and interacting with those situations. And so we're going to take a look at that. Um, we started in, uh, we're in the book of 1 Peter. So if you want to turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, last week, we asked the question, well, where do, what about identity? How do you get an unshakable identity? And it's one that comes from Christ. Christ gives you your identity. And, and we focused last week on this royal priesthood, that you're a part of this house. If you're a believer, you're a part of this house that God's building. And, and he, you are a priest. And the challenge was, would you put on the robes? 
Would you live that life? Would you accept that responsibility of who you actually are? And then in verse 11, right after that, so we're going to study through the next, through passage, the next few verses of this passage, you will notice uh, that he then says, because you are a priest, because you're a chosen one, because of, your, your, of the, uh, um, this holy nation, then abstain from lust and live this excellent behavior so that, and he introduces this idea of slander, so that when people slander you, God will actually be able to turn that to glory. And 1 Peter, the context of 1 Peter is he's talking to a group of people who are going through a lot of persecution, a lot of conflict, and really a lot of injustice, most of it because they've chosen to follow Christ. And so then he says, hey, here's some practical ways to live this out, this priesthood. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to the governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Why is government there? Why has God instituted government? So that it would treat those that do well be praised, those that do wrong, that they would be dealt with, they would be punished. That's the role of government. Now, oftentimes, people who've been put into government don't follow what God says, and so there's injustice, right? They're going to answer for that part of it. We are actually to be subject to these kings. And in Roman times, or when the first Peter was written, they did not have just kings. It's not like, oh yeah, they had really good ones back then. No, they, they didn't. And so that was that's this first step, this different way of dealing with conflict. Then he ups, he ups it. He turns the heat up in terms of this idea of a different path, an unshakable path. He says, servants, which actually that should be slaves. All right? This is written to slaves. They had slavery at this time, and so slaves were coming to Christ. And so he says, slaves, be submissive to your masters with all respect. So as a slave, you're to respect your master. He's the one in authority. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. So this is an unjust system with an unjust master, and he says... You're to continue to show respect. Then he says something kind of crazy for us. He says, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What? If you... Because if you are in an unjust situation, if you are being treated badly, if you're in a conflict where someone's doing you wrong, and because of your conscience, because you've accepted the mantle, you've accepted your new identity, which is you're part of a royal priesthood, you're part of a holy nation, you're God's possession, you're God's representative. That's who you are that you continue to respect the person who is persecuting you. 
If you continue to do that, if you hold up underneath this kind of conflict and do not turn to evil, God thinks that's good. That's favor. God looks at that and goes, that is good. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? You, you, you deserve what you got. That's, that, that's not what he's talking about. He says it again. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. God loves it. When you are unjustly treated, but you respond with patience, endurance. Let that settle in. Just let that settle in. All around you and my own heart and your heart goes, get rid of injustice. The whole goal of life is to get rid of injustice. If we can't get rid of injustice, we can't stand it. We've got to get rid of injustice. God says, oh, no, 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 no. My goal, what I think is good, is when there is injustice, you do right, and you get, you have to suffer for doing right. That's a wild idea. Then he tells us how that can happen. How do we live that out? How does that take place? He says, for you have been called for this purpose. Ah. Oh. He goes even further. He, go, he goes even further. Have you ever heard people say, listen, how can there be a good God and evil things happen? Oftentimes people are like, I don't believe in God because how can a good God let injustice happen? How do you answer that? It's kind of crazy. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. It's worse. God says, you follow me, and I'm calling you into injustice. If you follow me, I'm calling you into suffering. Wait a minute. You mean God loves suffering? That's not what he said. What he said was, he loves it when you suffer for doing good and you hold up underneath it. So, if you are struggling with, and if you are entertaining the idea of becoming a follower of Christ, and you've gotten the idea that Jesus calls you to an abundant life, and you're like, okay, one plus one, my life will be so much better. I will not have trouble if I accept Christ. I'm in. I'm going to blow your bubble today. What Jesus calls you into is the abundant life. And what he teaches and practiced was the abundant life includes suffering for doing good. He calls us to that. A follower of Christ does not read his Bible and go, I did good and somebody treated me wrong. This, where's God? God's answer is, I'm right here. I'm right in the middle of this. I'm right here. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
for you to follow in his steps. That's the path part. All right? God, Jesus literally says, here's my path. I'm, I'm laying out this example for you to follow in my path. And he says, and now I'm going to describe for you the greatest injustice that ever happened in all the universe. Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Now, this is a little bit difficult to grab a hold of because you don't know anybody like this. You only know good people that do not as much sin as you do, right? You don't know anybody that has never sinned, is never selfish, has only done good to other people. Only leaves people in a better place than they've been afterwards and has no deceit in his mouth. There's, nothing's ever come out of his mouth that wasn't good for the hearer. That's who he is. He is amazing. And while being reviled, reviled is to make scornful and abusive language or to disrespect while being reviled, he did not revile in return. Now, all of us have experienced this on a pretty regular basis. We can't stand to be disrespected. We cannot stand for someone to talk down to us. We can't stand for someone to tell us what to do. I had, I had my car parked one, uh, my truck parked someplace one day. Uh, I was doing a construction job, and somebody pulls up fast and yells at me about where my truck is parked, right? Now, I'm a pastor. I'm Mr. Loving Guy. I'm Mr., right? I come here and talk to you about this stuff every week. This guy yells at me instantly. I mean instantly. The things that were going through my head that I wanted to say to that guy. Now, fortunately, he drove off really fast, right? So I never said him. I so badly wanted to run after him and put him in his place. It, it happens between spouses, Right? You're driving, right? And she smarts off and says something about, and you want to say something to make sure? She knows never to say that again. You are in a, in a relationship with your kids, and your kids smart off to you, and instead of you being the parent, you all of a sudden become a three-year-old, and you're smarting off right back at them. Right? At work, you have these conflicts, and somebody hurts you, and you spend eight hours. You don't get any work done. Why? You're working your plan. How you're going to get back at them. How you need to make this injustice go away. Does that make sense? You grab it. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't talk back. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? When you're hurt, you instantly are like, don't do that again. You instantly begin to threat or else, or else. Now, you saw the word example, and you might think, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to do 
what Jesus said. What a great example. I'm going to follow his example. That would be a mistake. You don't have the power to do that. I could come here every week and give you this exact same message. Don't do that. And you'd go, I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. You don't have the power not to. What did he do? What's the example here? We're supposed, what's the path we're supposed to follow? But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. This is a beautiful principle. To entrust yourself is to put your life into somebody else's hands. That's what it means. I'm going to entrust myself to you. I'm done. I'm going to let go of the responsibility. I'm going to give it to you. So we went to Europe, and when we went to Europe, uh, Mike Tucci is our guide. He decides uh, where, what museums we're going to go to, how long we're going to be there, uh, where we're going to drive, and where we're going to eat. I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it. I just entrust myself to him. I'm not responsible for any of it, right? Like, when you're young, you're like, I want responsibility. After you have a little bit of responsibility, you're like, how do I get rid of it, right? It's so stressful. It's so, right? So the trip is a great trip because I get to entrust, entrust myself to someone else. I get to be able to do that. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father who judges righteously. And this has two parts to it. The first part of it is this. Jesus knew I might be losing right now. I know it looks like I'm losing right now. I know that you puny little people think you're getting it over on me. But I've entrusted myself to my father. And he will win one day. And when he wins, I'm going to win big. When he wins righteousness, righteous judgment will be delivered on that person. Jesus said, I'm not going to defend myself. Why? Because the Father is going to defend me. The second part of it is really amazing. The second part of it is that God has this incredible power, this ability, this justice. He's so good. He's so righteous. He can take evil suffering and turn it for good. He can take a situation where the people meant it for evil. They are trying to hurt you. And God can take that exact situation and turn it for good. What do I mean? What happened here? He says, to him who, ju who judges just righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we were healed. This is the greatest moment of injustice in all time. Why do I say that? Because this was a perfectly good person being tortured when he had done nothing wrong. At that same exact moment, the greatest moment of righteousness happened at the same time. Why? Because by his wounds... By his suffering, Christ made it available, made it possible for you to become righteous. 
He made it possible for you to go from a human being who goes, well, I'm just human, which means you can't blame me for sinning. That's who I am. You can't blame me for being a jerk. That's who I am. You can't blame me for being selfish. I'm human. At that moment, God took us, who we are, selfish, basically wicked, and turned it. God turned it upside down. And at that very moment, it opened the way for you and I to be able to be righteous. He entrusted it to God, who is just, who, one, will make things right one day. Justice will happen. And number two, he can take that moment and turn it for good. So there's four things that we learn. I'm going to just kind of walk through these four things. One, we have been called to suffer for doing right. Number two, Christ has left us a path to follow. You have to choose the path, right? You get to choose, but he's left you a path to follow. Number three, the key to this path is entrusting yourself to the God who judges justly. Be very careful. The example is not just that you don't fire back uh, sarcasm for sarcasm, disrespect for disrespect. It's that, no, I entrust myself to God, therefore I have the power to love you instead of firing back against you. And number four, in, in suffering, Jesus has set me free from sin so I can, it's possible, I can be the royal priest. I can be this chosen nation. I can be like Christ. So how does this look, how does it work its way out in life? How do, how do we practice this in life? Well, here's the big idea. When someone is attacking me because God is my defender, when someone is attacking me because God is my defender, I do not have to control them. In all conflict, our natural response is how do I control them? How do I, be, how do I beat them? How do I defeat them? How do I stop the suffering? And to stop the suffering, I have to defeat them. And for most of us, we want justice on top of it. I don't just want to stop the suffering. I want them suffering too. Right? Right now, I'm losing. I need to get winning. There's this conflict. And when that happens, we focus all our energies on controlling them. Which, by the way, we have no power to do whatsoever. And it goes bad. Even when you can fight as well as I can fight, it still goes bad. That was a joke. Okay. So, I do not have to control them, but have the power to control me. Wait, what do you mean? It's this simple principle. If God is defending me, I don't have to focus on controlling them. So I'm free to control me. They aren't controlling me any longer. I'm free to control me. So here's some biblical uh, ways that this can happen. Or These are different passages where God talks about the same thing and he says what to do about it. One is don't fear. In 1 Peter 3, we're going to talk about that actually this week. Why don't I have to fear God? 
Because your defender is way bigger than their defender. That's why. It's that simple. Because God is just, he will win. I don't have to fear them. Number two, don't defend yourself. God will defend you. It's amazing what happens when you stop defending yourself. It is incredible. When you're in a conflict, right? When you're in conflict, you're, you, you kind of lose your head. You, you kind of lose your way. Why? You're so focused on what you're going to do to them to win this war that you don't see it. So this is the way I think it works. It works like this. When there's a conflict, you think there's two people. There's you and the other person. And if they win, you lose. <laughs> right? If you win, they lose. But Jesus' path is, no, there's three people. There's you, there's the other person, and there's God the Father. So when the conflict happens, you have the opportunity to go, wait, step back. I don't have to defend myself. God will defend me. And when that happens, you become wise. You, you get to see things as they are. And you're freed up to be able to love that person instead of battle that person. Number, uh, C, he will lift you up in due time. You're trusting God that he will lift you up in due time. Yes, you're losing now. You absolutely are. This hurts. It's suffering. But he will lift you up in due time. In the Old Testament, the stories of Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David in the New Testament, Jesus, what are those stories about? If you read them through, you'll realize, oh, my goodness, time and time again, they were losing, they were losing, they were losing, and then God lift them up in due time. D, and he will use, he will use this very instance to do amazing good in people's lives. God's in control, so I don't have to defend. Therefore, I can control myself. How would I do that? Real, just real quickly, die to sin, so I'm going to do what God says is best. Love, so I'm going to do what's best for that person. I'm going to do good in proportion to the evil done to me. The, the biblical principle from Romans 12 is the more they hurt you, the more you love them. And lastly, speak words that benefit the hearer. This will change your life. It will change your life if you learn to tr entrust God. And so then you begin to use your words not to slander, not to revile, but to do what's best for the person who's hurting you. You become unshakable. You become amazingly powerful when you be able to put that into place. So... Quick story just to kind of cement this all through. It's your choice what you do, right? It's your choice which path you take. Uh, I think this is three years ago now. Uh, Gloria Reyes and uh, Lori were in the same group, and uh, groups get together. They pray for each other, and Gloria was pretty consistently coming and talking about, listen, I got this problem at work. I got somebody who's just mean. Like, they're really mean, and they're being, they're being mean to me, for no reason. Like, they're just mean. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me meant will you eliminate that problem, right? Just what, I guess we're praying for God to wipe that person out. 
we're praying for God to change the person, right? Whatever, get them fired. Like, just eliminate that person. <laughs> Excuse me. And they had already been exposed to Romans chapter 12 where it says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so one night, Lori goes, well, well why, don't we, why don't we bake for them? Which is Lori's answer to every problem. All right. So why don't we just bake for them? And Gloria's response was awesome. She's like, I don't want to do good to her. There's no way I want to do good. I don't even want good to happen to her. That's not what I want. And uh, they worked it through the passage, and Gloria goes, okay, I see that's what the Bible says. So they actually took a day and baked and baked and baked. And they didn't just bake for the problem. They kind of baked for her whole department. And she took all these baked goods in, and, and she talked to the specific person who was being mean to her and said, listen, I want to make a special plate just for your family. And the lady's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And she's like, I just, I, I just want to bless your family. I want your family to be blessed. And so here is this, and she carried it on. And she came back the next week, and she's like, you're not going to believe this. First of all, the whole department was like, what are you doing? This is nuts. And number two, that lady's, that, her enemy's attitude changed like that. It's been three years. I talked to Gloria yesterday. She goes, no, it's still changed. That, that entirely changed what happened in our office. Now, now, God does not promise that person will change. Don't get this wrong, right? In this story, it did work out that way. And you know what? Lots of times it does work out that way. But what God has called you to as a holy priest is that in this life, yes, you may lose. In the suffering, you may lose. That person may not change. They may turn up the heat. But you can trust your life to God the Father who will one day make it right. No one gets away with this. And number two, he will do something amazing to make it right. Just real quick, mom and dad, many of you want your children to see Jesus for who he really is. But you don't practice this principle. Your kids see you win all the time. Because you're really good at force. You're really good at one of these other paths. And so God never gets a chance to turn it for good. I encourage you, entrust yourself to him. Do not revile. Step off the path you're on. Step onto this path. It is unshakable. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. This amazing principle. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you that you don't just call us to this, but you did it. And that you freed us so that we can trust the Father and we can trust you. Lord, the idea 
that we don't have to run from suffering, but it's actually an opportunity to experience you and to experience goodness. You know how foreign that is to us, Lord. Help us. Open our eyes to this. Help us to grab a hold of this. Give us the courage. And so that all through this room, there's all kinds of conflicts going on. Would you make the choice right now? This week, not next week, this week, to step off the path you've been following and step onto the path of entrusting yourself to him who judges justly. I pray for each person who said yes. That they watch you bring a life to them, a goodness to them they never knew possible. In your name we pray. Amen.